everyone, welcome back to the Fitness Devil Podcast. Uh, today we've got the third in a series of uh, featured precision nutrition professionals that we brought onto the podcast. We've got Craig Weller. Craig's going to tell us about his experience in the uh, military, along with all of his experience working uh, in nutrition and exercise science. And we're going to talk about the importance of workouts for mental health, especially during stressful times. We're all going through some stressful stuff right now. Uh, managing your physical stress during heightened mental stress and some strategies to maintain fitness when you're presented with limited options. Stay tuned. Shut up and sit down. Hi everyone, welcome back to the Fitness Devil podcast. Um, we are concluding a trilogy of episodes from uh, Precision Nutrition personnel. Uh, we were fortunate enough to have uh, PN reach out to us a while back and want to bring some of the people on. And that doesn't mean it's the last time we'll have guests from PN. It's just we, we set up three in the short term and all these guests will actually be returning because they've been great. So uh, we had Krista Scott Dixon recently and then we had Adam Fight, who we, you should be listening to um, a week ago if everything went according to plan. Uh, but today we have Craig Weller joining us, and I'm excited to talk to Craig because Craig's got an interesting background. We'll get into that in a second. Um, he is the is Precision Nutrition's Exercise Systems and Program Director and uh, comes from a pretty extensive military background. Um, I'll get you to open up on that a bit. And also a civilian business background, too. you got a lot of success in that realm. So uh, welcome, Craig. And I'd love to hear a little bit more about uh, some of that background. Sure. Uh, I was I was a U.S. Navy SWIC, which is a special warfare combatant crewman. Um, that's a special operations unit that specializes in small boat stuff. Um, so if you ever see a Navy commercial where guys are on pointy little boats with guns on them, um, those are the boat guys or the SWICs. Um, after that, I did some private military work. Uh, I trained a militia in East Africa for a while, and then I, I took a security contract with the State Department and did some high threat protection work in Iraq uh, for the U.S. ambassador. So if the U.S. ambassador needed to go somewhere in the red zone, um, he would be in my vehicle as the, the primary driver, which is like an armored BMW, and we'd take him around the city in a five-vehicle motorcade, kind of like what the Secret Service does in the U.S., but with um, a lot hotter weather, <laughs> a lot but, more sand. And let me guess, that's the stuff you're allowed to tell us about. <laughs> we'll leave it at that. Yeah, for the most part, yeah. I mean, it's if I were to ever like write a screenplay about my time in the military, it would be way more like The Office than it would be like Rambo. It, oh. Most of it isn't that cool. It wouldn't be like um, the Benghazi movie when they had the armored vehicles and they're just getting shot up. Uh, I never got hit actually in Iraq, but that does happen. Yeah, I was just weirdly lucky. Like other teams, we get hit two blocks away um, pretty regularly. Yeah, and I just. I was just really lucky. Like we uh, we drove past an IED once that was on all of our cameras because all our cars had cameras, and it just didn't go off. And we got back to the we got back to the base the next day, and a Hummer got ripped apart. Some DoD guys got got shredded by it, and for whatever reason, they just didn't push the button when we rolled by. So I was just really fortunate. Um, yeah, but I was in a lot of those places, you know, a lot of those situations, and it just always kind of worked out. And I got out early enough that I didn't keep rolling the dice over and over till it went bad. I guess we're, we're recording this, um, and, I, and I prefaced Adam's episode kind of the same way. So people are going to be listening to this in one of two sort of time frames. One is sort of right away in the, in the very middle of the COVID epidemic, 
or like people will discover this and go back and listen to back episodes. It's going to be kind of surreal. Someone who's listening to this in like February of 2021 and hearing all this stuff and like, oh yeah, that that period of time really fucking sucked a lot. Uh, so I guess for you, you've been in environments that a lot of us could never even appreciate. So how are you finding, let's, let's start here. How are you finding in terms of like the stress and and the experience of what's going on in the world right now versus, you know, I guess the, the mental conditioning you've had from your military time. Mm. Um, the, the big difference, I think, is here I worry more about other people in, in a different sense than worrying about your teammates being shot or something. But like my parents and grandparents and my mother-in-law, like I'm, I'm worried about them uh, staying healthy, staying away from crowds, that kind of thing where I would have no control over it if, if they did pick up the virus or if something bad did happen. Um, personally, just dealing with the stress of it, like, you know, I, as you said, I'm involved with multiple businesses, that kind of thing, and they're all shut down now. Um, my stress response there, which is, is based in what we learned and were selected for in the military, is, is just active coping. Like, slow your breathing, control your stress response and do the next right thing. Like, like figure out what needs to be done and solve the problem in front of you not, and don't avoid it um, to, to directly face it and just take small steps. That's like good advice regardless of, of military training. And I think that that actually gets, that was actually the most elegant, eloquent, eloquent way of saying that when I think like, I don't know, like, would you agree, Andrew? Like that's like when you, when you said that, it was like, oh yeah, that's exactly what I should do right now. <laughs> love that and, and thank, I, thank, thanks for that <laughs> yeah i hope everybody listening grabs on to that i think it's there's this thing that's just been hanging over us and um you know obviously everybody's stress levels are higher uh you know stress hormones are anxiety are all more peaked right now and i think like, from my personal experience i think the first week is this really ramped up i had a, a an awful week i found it really bad and i sh and i share this because I want the listeners to say to have felt the same thing to understand. Okay, like I'm not alone in feeling that way, and all these other people are just like stoic and going about their business. No, this shit sucked. And then I sort of leveled off, and I'm like, mm. oh, this maybe ain't going to be so bad. And then you kind of have these like little peaks, and then you adjust to the re new reality. And there, there, again, there's something that's a bit more intense. And, Indecision, and though, like the the biggest thing that I I can this can be whatever realm, nutrition, fitness, like life, is that indecision or indecision. I don't even know what's going to be happening in the next two days. And that's kind of what's stressful, if that makes sense. Yeah. So it's interesting the way that you say, like, kind of control your stress response to do the next, next best thing. Because essentially that's what I've been trying to do. It's like, well, I'm going to do this. Because at the yeah. end of the day, I could sit there worrying about it or I could do something. Because at the end of the day, it's going to happen regardless. It's just, it's hard to get over that. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. And that is, that's, that's where all the stress research goes. Um, the two primary variables that determine your stress response are predictability and control. And we have not a lot of either of those things right now, especially control. And the predictability is terrifying. If we, if we look at the, <laughs> the modeling for what may happen or is probably going to happen. I mean, this will be interesting for the people that look back on this in like a month or two when they listen to this. It's April 2nd right now. Um, unless you live in maybe New York or Washington, things aren't acutely bad. The apocalypse is surprisingly quiet. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, we, we really, there's nothing we can do about this other than just hunker down and wait. And, and that loss of predictability and control is really stressful. It really spikes anxiety. It just makes you sit and ruminate over it. And it's new. Cause I think, I don't know the way, the way I've explained it is like, I think if anyone thought they had control 
of whatever they thought they had control of, it kind of got flipped upside down because especially with the <laughs> government stuff is like, listen, like you're just playing in this game at this point And like, this is a wake up call. And then, and then you can learn how to operate within that because I think a lot of people think they have a lot more control than they do. And this it takes something like this to be like, yeah, you need to actually do all of these things or else you're just kind of screwed. Yeah. Um, I, there was just something I wanted to come back to and, and it's talking about the stress and the, and the control. Um, a book I really liked was uh, a book by Kelly McGonigal. Um, it's called The Upside of Stress. And so this whole idea that stress in of itself is that the classical idea, idea is that stress will kill you. It's going to raise your blood pressure. It's going to do all these terrible things to you. But the book explores how it's, it really is that sense of control over the stressors in your life. If you have a high sense of control and you have a fairly stressful job or, or thing that you're doing, it's still quite fulfilling and, and there's not a strong relationship between that and all these adverse health outcomes. But I think what we need to be aware of as a society, I mean, we have this acute <clears throat> worry right now, but, and, and I want to be very careful how I say this because I'm seeing in our industry, people arguing, and I don't think this is very productive. And I, I saw a meme, uh, somebody shared a meme that was uh, Jesus over a dying person and saying, uh, you know, hey, uh, the the Dow Jones improved by three percent today. <laughs> Take the guy, really? guy dying is like glad I could help, and and I see that <laughs> I actually get angry because I think that's such bullshit straw man garbage. Because anyone who is making the argument that you know about the economy, they're not talking about the Dow Jones. They're worried about their jobs. They're worried about their ability to provide for their family and. Anyone who thinks this is and can only be about the immediate, you know, effects uh, and, and the death rate of this virus is not taking into account the, the all this stress. We're going to see a lot of adverse health uh, outcomes over the course of the next few years. Uh, people often cite the mental health cost. I think the mental health cost is going to be staggering. Now, none of these things are an argument to just say, okay, let's just open everything up and and let this run its course and, and accept the death toll. But it's not nearly that simple. And I think for starters, for you know, people in our industry, you, you have a lot more time on your hands and you're stressed out. First of all, I'd stay out of these arguments. And, and two, I've said this on social media and I, and I think this is really important. I would say stop following these people, the people mm -hmm. engaging in this garbage. And, and honestly, the worst of the doomsayers and the fear mongers, even if the people who sort of acting in the interest of trying to help people. I think a lot of people already understand the gravity. We know that there are these kids out still on beaches and shit. We, those people exist. This is the reaction to stress though. Like, people, uh, in our, yeah, and the people in our social media circle, I really do think they're probably already hunkered down. They're already being responsible and just drowning in this stuff, I don't think is going to help you. So I think you follow the information as it comes out. I mean, I'm always a little skeptical of you know, just drowning in news media too. I don't think you should spend mm -hmm. hours in front of the news media cycle, but you know, try to gather the facts from what's going on and understand the gravity. But beyond that, maybe turn off the talking heads, especially in the ones in our industry. And I think right now you're going to learn a lot about the people in the industry who are, you know, trying to do positive things and the people who are just playing chicken little. And there are some people I, I've liked and, and respect who are playing chicken little. And I'm kind of done with their bullshit right now. And it's making me rethink some of these things. I don't know what you guys think about that. Craig doesn't know you that well yet. And I was like, 
I was like, what did Craig say to get you on one of your rants? <laughs> They'd be like, what? Um, our viewers will think no. funny because like every once in a while he'll be like, listen, I need to say something. But yeah, like what are, you, what are your thoughts on all of that stuff? I think like yeah, I mean, background on this stuff. I, I jotted down some notes while you were talking because there's so many ways to to approach that or so many things that that branches off into. Like, uh, like as you're saying, just living in the 24-hour news cycle and skimming through Twitter or Facebook or whatever is just a way to torture yourself. And the the more you concentrate the time that you spend doing that or the, or the, the more you distribute it over a day, the less valuable it becomes. Like if you think of, if you check the news every hour for an entire day, the value of the information you get from that at any given time averaged out is going to be very low. But if you check it once a day, it's a little better because you're going to concentrate the stuff that matters. If you only check it once a week, once a month, it becomes more and more useful and a, and a better use of your time. And when you're in that constant anxious, like low grade grazing state of just skimming through people recycling the same concepts or the same content, it's just, it's, it's a, unproductive and, and harmful use of your time. Um, in, in back to the military stuff in the, in the special operations community, when they do selection in some of these units, um, say development group or SEAL Team 6 or the Army's asymmetric warfare group, some of the secret squirrely ones, one of the psychological profiles they look for and select out that they don't want in is people who are ruminators. Um, and these are people who, when they're put under stress in a difficult situation, they don't go action to action to action and just do the thing. They sit there and dwell and they think over and over about past and future. What did I do wrong? What was bad? Why does this suck? And they, they stay in their heads and they live there and, and they deliberately find those personality types. And that's one of the things that they try to uh, filter out because those people will break eventually um, if, if you have that behavioral type. You're, you're not going to last under the sustained stress that you're going into. Sorry, what was that? I was going to say, how do they, how do they, so like, that's actually interesting because that's kind of like, it, that is helpful for the industry that we're in. How do they kind of figure that out with people? I know there's probably like a deeper process to it, but like if someone's listening, they're like, oh, am I this or am I that? Like, how do they know? So uh, they have dedicated psychs who are, who are watching them during the selection process and they'll interview them and they're, you get kind of think of it as a reality show or something like yeah. there are people doing a thing actively in real time and then there are people observing them and kind of taking apart their behavior and and they just look for one of the one of the signals is sort of like when people look like they're performing for a camera when they're like self-conscious of being observed and they're they're doing things not because they need to be done but because they think that's what someone else wants to see um, that can be somewhat indicative of that behavioral profile or they'll just talk to them or, or watch them over time. And you can tell the people who just like set aside everything that sucks and focus on the thing that needs to be done right now. And, and you see that in behavior, um, yeah. just as much as you would if they wrote down what they were thinking. Well, it's interesting because I do nutrition coaching, like through strong you anyways, we're all kind of coaches and something like Andrew does fitness. I was a trainer, but like generally we're trying to get people to be, out of that system like you say the profile that they're looking for we're almost trying to like impart some of those skills on a lot of the people we're dealing with because like that tends to i guess be the consistent thing that shows to work and the military is mm -hmm. not winning and so it's, it's just interesting to see at that level that's what these people are doing and there's a lot of things on the line money life um whatever freedom and those are the things that they're prioritizing which kind of leaves some clues for 
maybe what we should be imparting in our practices, if that makes sense. I'm, I'm trying to connect it all, but like I heard that and I was like, oh damn, that's like what I try to do. I'm just not a military. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, the same principle applies anywhere. Like, I mean, whatever your occupation is, that approach to coping with stress is still valid. Um, avoiding rumination or just uselessly torturing yourself with unproductive negative thoughts is, is, a, is a valuable thing, whether you're carrying a gun to work or not. Let's uh, let's take this a little further because I've had this idea bounce around in my head, and in my mind, <clears throat> this applies to this is a bit more about like the fitness professionals right now who feel maybe frozen in place, and I feel like it's actually really okay to try to spend some time and effort working on your business, your brand, do th some positive things. But I think it's really also okay just to kind of put your head down catch your breath and and watch some television and i'm not saying just take the next four months and completely check out but i think it's okay to do bits of both i i don't think it's necessarily a good idea for someone to add all that stress and try to put pressure on themselves to be perfect you know 18 hours a day constantly working on their business because i think that's going to burn someone out right now but and i also don't think someone should just pretend that hey well the next two to god only knows how many months won't be able to do anything therefore i'm just going to immerse myself in video games and that's it so what are your thoughts mm. on a, a good approach a, a good way to channel your energy for a fitness professional in their career right now um i mean that's something we've debated a lot internally at pn as well and we've tried to put out some resources and um we're we're also at the stage of like this is our best I guess right now. Uh, we don't have a solid answer, but I've been coming back a lot to this concept of a triune brain or like a three-part brain where you have physical, mental, and emotional sides to your brain and or your mind. And you want to spend roughly equal amounts of time or, or engaged, focused time in each of those areas. Um, like as a recent example of this, I have a friend whose father just passed away, I think last week on Tuesday. And his dad lives in New York, he lives in California. And like, given our current context, he didn't die of COVID, but like a lot of that is influential just the same. He couldn't have a funeral. Um, and, and the guy was back at work. Uh, I was talking to him yesterday and he was just buried in work. And I was like, man, you, you've got to give yourself permission to feel what you need to feel and grieve and go through this. And he did and he does, but at the same time, he occasionally needs to step away from that emotional weight and distract himself with something that's either mentally or physically demanding so he's taken up long runs because you can go running by yourself outside still so he just takes off running and just kind of loses himself in an immediate physical task and then he goes back to work and and he has times where he's just focused on something that's cognitively demanding and isn't carrying an emotional burden for him um, and he's trying to balance those things. And I think for a business owner, you could think of kind of the same approach. Um, if, if we cope with this situation by just burying ourselves in work and neglecting every emotional or physical aspect of our lives, we're going to burn out. And the time that we spend focused on work is going to become really inefficient and unproductive. Like you'll probably find yourself just staring at your email, hitting refresh at some point because you want to keep working, but you're not sure what to do and you haven't really come up with a strategy. Um, so yeah, I think it's, it's not an either or thing. Like you should focus on work or you shouldn't, but you should be able to do it in a way that's productive and efficient and isn't the only thing that you're doing. And I think as you were alerting, alluding to the difficult thing right now is 
focusing on your business or doing things that are good for your business without feeling like or sounding like you're exploiting this current situation, which is a really difficult line to walk right now. Like everyone's sending out at-home workouts or resources they can give to people. And for the most part, what I've seen is people are just being generous with that. And they're just trying to legitimately help people. And, and people who had been selling things before have dropped the barriers and now they're giving them away and, and they're really trying to help people. And I think that's probably the way to go right now. Um, I mean, people are going to find ways to monetize things in this situation and, and that's fine. If you're adding value, there's no reason not to be compensated for it. Um, but, but I think being especially mindful of the amount of stress and the economic circumstances that a lot of people are under is, is going to be really important right now. Well, and helpful. I, 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 not to sound like everyone's not altruistic, but like I think we talked about this last podcast or maybe it was another one, but this idea of like being generous now, like it's going to pay off in the long run because people are mm -hmm. essentially going to remember that. And it, I think it's okay to play to that. Because people will say, well, you're taking advantage of the situation. It's like, no, like, I'm doing what I can now. And like, if you want to support me later, I think everyone that's kind of honest in their business practices and are kind of forthcoming with, I guess, the ideology of why they're doing what they're doing, I think it's going to pay off. And it, you might as well, you might as well do that because taking advantage of it actually monetarily now is probably just going to crush your business. Yeah. That's what it seems like anyways. Yeah, I see it as a good time for relationship building or, or building brand equity. Um, yeah. And, and I mean, that depending on how long this runs out, that could become an issue anyway, because people still have to pay their bills. Yeah. Uh, they have to meet payroll and they have to find some kind of a balance between those two things. And I think <laughs> the the easy answer that's hard to do in practice is probably just to over deliver as much as you can and provide as much possible value as you can for for the payment that you're asking in return. Let's explore a few of the things that we sort of pre-planned with this one, because I think this is really critical. Uh, just the importance of being physically active. You're talking about home workouts and, every, and different people have different access to different resources. Dean and I both actually have like home gym setups, whereas a lot of people really have nothing more than body weight. But what's, what do you think the importance is of you know, workouts for mental health during stressful times? Uh, I think probably the first principle to keep in mind for that is that we don't feel our way into behaving differently. We behave our way into feeling differently. So how you feel is based on what you do and your feelings follow your behavior. And there's a ton of research on the impact of physical activity on your mood and your motivation and even your cognitive function. Like your brain literally works differently when you're physically active. And when you're in this, especially now when people are, are really in a disrupted state and they're trapped at home and they, especially they don't have workout stuff, um, there's still a lot you can do physically. And, and it's going to be really important to get past that initial gravity, that initial weight that makes it, that makes it tough to break free from your chair and, and to go out and physically move when you're probably you're going to be really tempted to be stuck in like this anxiety loop of just watching the news or finding things to do with work or, or passively coping by avoiding thinking about those things and just emptying an entire shelf of ice cream somewhere and, and watching Netflix. Um, but, but if you can override that feeling by changing your behavior, you can set some patterns that, 
that will be really beneficial and will help you cope effectively with this situation, um, especially in the long run. And the initial, say the initial week or the first few days that you're doing that are going to feel really challenging. Um, but, but habit, habit acquisition will start to set in and, and a concept called self-hurting becomes a thing. And eventually what requires a lot of conscious override to do, like say you get up from your desk every hour or so and, and get some movement in of some sort, or you go for a long walk twice a day or whatever, that's probably going to feel really foreign and, and annoying when you first start doing it. But over time, your subconscious mind will start referring to your past behavior in a similar context for the example of what you should do today or what you should do now. And so what was initially difficult to do uh, will eventually become your new habit or your new reflex. And where everyone is now is in the first stage of that, um, deciding what habits and what reflexes they're going to have. And the only way they're going to establish those in a direction that they want that is associated with their long-term goals and their health and their happiness is by consciously overriding probably their impulses to stay on the couch and, and sort of forcing themselves to do the behavior that they don't feel like doing. I think that's going to sound familiar to anyone who is active now, but came from a place of uh, you know, a different kind of lifestyle or habit base or especially for trainers, something they do with a lot of their clients, I mean, the difficulty of getting off the couch. <clears throat> this is not a foreign concept. This is actually what I think most of our society deals with on a daily basis anyway. And I think a lot of us are being pushed into the, this regressed state. We're also being thrown completely out of our, our, our routine. My routine is completely screwed up compared to what mm. life is normally like. And I think that's important to recognize is this is what a lot of people actually experience anyway. So I think the same principles apply. Just a lot more stress and maybe a bit more of a barrier, but there's a huge barrier to anyone who wants to lose weight, but is struggling to get started. So it, it's really yeah. at, at part of this, the same thing that the population often are dealing with. The co cognitive oversight stuff is kind of cool too. Um, Cause we see it in like with step counting, for example, because like that's something that will drop off if you're eating less in the diet world. Um, and you can kind of add that in and you can manage it because you can track it. And I hate to say that everyone needs to track stuff, but when environments have switched essentially from the outside world to being at home, some of those, um, I guess, conscious things that you can track might be helpful to kind of, I guess, breed those new habits in the new environment because you still have to figure out a way to do those things because you can't have 10,000 steps a day and drop the two and expect to like, I guess, stay within your fitness goals. Like it's going to be just harder. Yeah, yeah. Anything that allows you to automate a behavior or, or, or somehow that environmentally biases you into doing that behavior is going to be really beneficial. And yeah, I think it's important to point out that like the, the gravity that people are feeling right now or the, the stress and the weight that they're feeling or the difficulty that they're having in, in reestablishing a new routine when they're suddenly taken away from the environment that they're used to and, and they have to be entirely internally regulated um, is a real stress a real challenge and and there is a lot of research on cognitive function that that shows that right now is going to be an especially difficult time for people to establish new behaviors or to act in a way that is in the interest of their long-term goals and not in just short-term moment-to-moment problem solving uh, as you, uh, chronic stress alters cognitive function in a way that you lose access to some of your executive function stuff uh, your frontal cortex 
doesn't have as loud of a voice in your behavior, you become more driven by your limbic system. Uh, so literally the way your brain works under chronic stress and chronic anxiety is different. And it makes it really hard to do stuff that is long-term planning, um, delayed gratification kind of behavior. So it's when people are struggling right now to do stuff that especially the fitness industry is going to be yelling about. Um, it's not just because they're lazy or something. It's not because it's their fault or, or there's some flaw with them. It's that what they're feeling and what they're doing and the behavior that they're, they're feeling drawn toward is exactly what brains do in this condition. Well, it's funny you say that, like, because even personally, I can have an example. I just got back from Costa Rica. Um, anyways, long story short is I'm in the middle of a pandemic. And my life is kind of set up for this because I do online coaching and like nothing really changes. But the whole stress of everything, like I couldn't sit down. I have to write. I had to write this piece for high energy, energy flux for a rebel performance. And it was like pulling teeth to get me to do it. And I have nothing but time at this point because <laughs> things have dropped down. I find myself like playing stupid cell phone games. Like my limbic mm -hmm. system was just like, you know what? I'm just going to do this instead of doing that. And I'm like literally playing this game in front of my computer instead of <laughs> writing yeah. this thing. But it's like, it's like I had no, not that I didn't have any control of it. But now when you say that out loud, I'm going to be like, I'm going to catch that. I'm going to be like, listen. Yeah. Them. But like, it's hard to know if you're not aware. And I think in these times, and especially with a lot of people, like we're unconscious to some of these things. And it just takes that little flip to, I guess, then cognitively override that thing, whatever that thing is. Which is interesting. Yeah. I have the same experience too, where oftentimes I, I don't spend almost any time watching television and I'll play a bit of Witcher 3 and I found myself uh, binging more on Witcher 3 and I've gotten into an old TV show that I really like. And in places I had the same problem. I've been struggling to, to finish an article that I, I promised I would have uh, ready for, for T-Nation and do some of these other proactive things. But then I paused and I said, okay, I'm gonna give myself permission because I think for anybody who is struggling, I still think it's important to say, okay, you do have permission to do some of these, you know, things where you can just take your mind off the situation. If you wanna go and, and binge watch a television show, great. I think you have to say, okay, I can do this, but I also still have to make an effort for the things that are essential, the stuff I have to do. If you can partition, mm -hmm. Time and agree to okay. I, I can watch four hours of this this evening. You have probably have a lot more time than usual anyway. If you put in the time to get these other essential tasks done, so I just think it's important to communicate to people that you're not failing if you're not putting all of your time and all of your mental energy. Like you're talking about like with the limbic system, that makes so much sense. I think people just simply it's going to be a very rare person who's going to have the capability to just blast through with all that same grind hustle mentality as they would under optimal conditions because right now we're nowhere yeah. and we have olympic system overload like like we live in a world where like it's literally designed for olympic system we're not living in the fucking jungle with no like technology. <laughs> so like it's like just tell people not to do those things it's like it's literally against their <laughs> evolution so it's it's kind of hilarious that you kind of the way you broke it down because i'm just thinking like we're all screwed like we're gonna watch yeah Tiger we're all gonna watch tiger king like it's gonna happen yeah i think yeah we, we we have like all of the world's information at our fingertips at any given time like it's not a, a puzzle why we're distracted um i i think it's a useful thing to your to your point andrew is um to take uh, to the extent that you can to take willpower out of the equation. Um, we use the phrase change the system, not the symptom. Um, like to go back to the military background a bit, I grew up in South Dakota and I didn't know how to swim when I joined the Navy. 
and I joined the Naval Special Operations Unit where swimming is basically your entire day. So I, I literally had a near drowning experience almost every day for two and a half years. And so I, I had to come up with all of these little strategies to, to bias my environment and help me get through that. And that, that was one of those things. Like I had to get up at three o'clock in the morning for these workouts every day. And to do that reliably, I would put my alarm clock on the other side of the room and I was in a top bunk and like, you know, a bunk bed kind of thing. So I had to physically jump out of bed, land on the floor, run across the room and kill my alarm clock as fast as I could. And it, it immediately got me out of bed where if I had just set my alarm clock right next to my bed within arm's reach, like a normal person does, the temptation to, to just slap it, hit snooze for three more minutes or whatever would be, would be way too high. And there's no way I would have been able to do it consistently. Um, so if you're in an environment where you're surrounded by distractions, rather than, than just counting on willpower to, to grit your teeth and get you through everything, uh, there are a lot of little solutions you can build in uh, upstream that that will help you avoid that so you can use software like rescue time is super useful you can install it on your laptop on your phone whatever and and it has basically it watches everything you do and then it allocates time to things and you can adjust it you can change it and decide what it lets you do and what it doesn't let you do but like for mine for most of the day I can't touch anything that's social media that's news that's in any way distracting and it gives me basically a budget throughout the week and I can use some of that budget in a day or I can spread it out. Uh, and it, it keeps me from, from wasting time. Like even if I try to go to Twitter or whatever, it's going to lock my screen and tell me I have better things to do. <laughs> um, you can use a newsfeed eradicator on Facebook that wipes out the newsfeed, but allows you to still see messages. Like there are a lot of little things that you can do like that where you solve the problem once you create an upstream solution and then you don't have to worry about having willpower at nine o'clock at night when you're stressed out and you spent the entire day working or whatever, and you have nothing else to do. Like you just have the systems so that the natural way that you're going to go is the way that you want it to go. Yeah, I tried one of those apps before. I think it was Evergreen. It was the one where like you grow plants. If your like cell phone stays off and you don't go into it, it'll like grow a plant and then it, it kind of gamifies. Um, oh, interesting. Saving time. I, there's, there's like a bunch of them. I think it's, I don't know. Anyways, they, they have stuff like that. And I did find it helpful. I just, I hated it. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you'll run into it so many times during the day. You realize how often you just reflexively open the news or Facebook or whatever. Yeah. Let's uh, let's tackle a couple more of the points that are really related to this conversation, but I think are super important. Um, I wanted to ask about your thoughts on managing physical stress during heightened times of mental stress. Can, thinking that, well, all the stress that we experience, mental, physiological, really draw from our same pool that we can recover from and manage. Yeah, I, I actually jotted a note on that when you brought up Kelly McGonigal. And um, there's, there's a really common perception that all stress is identical. Um, I think Robert Sapolsky's book propagated that to some extent using the, the zebras analogy. Um, but, but that's not entirely accurate. Not all stress is identical. Um, first, fear and anxiety are very different things. Um, anxiety is what we all feel right now with, with COVID. Uh, and it's basically the anticipation of a potential threat. Um, if you're a mouse, it's going into a room to get food and the room smells like cats. You don't see a cat, you're not being chased, but you're pretty sure one is around and it's going to happen. And, and that's the state where we spend most of our time when we're stressed. And fear is active threat. 
fear means that you're the mouse and the cat has just popped out of the corner and is chasing you and trying to kill you. And, and the, the physiological response to that is, is very different. Fear is primarily stillness, it's behavioral inhibition and vigilance, uh, where fear is activation of motor units. It's, it's like lab animals will run through barriers rather than over or around. They'll just bash through things if they're scared enough. People will do the same thing. And, and fear is very adrenaline-based. Um, cortisol follows after, uh, but, but fear is adrenaline for the most part, and, and anxiety is, is very cortisol-driven. Uh, and they all mix to some extent. Um, and then from there, you have a difference in, I think this is where, I, I can't remember all of McGonagall's work, but I think this is some of what she got into was that there are different ways of perceiving stress and the physiological response is again different. Uh, so you can think of, of stress as being either challenging or threatening. And if we go back to the stuff on predictability and control, um, a, a threatening stress state or a threatening uh, stress response is based on a loss of predictability and control. Um, you can also call that response distress, where your brain is reading this as a threat to your well-being, your safety, your health, your life, and it's going to dump adrenaline and, and, and stress hormones to, to probably a greater extent than you need because it's kind of a better safe than sorry kind of situation. Like you want to overactivate much more prefer preferentially than underactivate. Um, because you don't know exactly what's going to happen. So you just want to make sure you survive it. And, and when those kind of responses go on, especially chronically, um, you see a change, a shift away from like long-term productivity kind of stuff. Um, things like sex, sex hormones or reproductive hormones drop away because reproduction isn't really a priority when you're trying to survive. So you have decreases in testosterone, uh, decreases in growth hormone production, that kind of stuff. And when you're on the other side of that, if you're in a challenge-based uh, stress response, you have high predictability and control, and your stress response is going to be shifted more primarily towards norepinephrine or noradrenaline than it is adrenaline and, and cortisol. And the response, the magnitude of their response is going to match the mere physiological demand, as the researchers put it. Uh, it's going to be just commensurate to what you physically need to do and no more. Um, so if you think of like, if you've never known how to swim and you jump in the middle of a pool, the stress response that you feel is going to be way in excess of what a good swimmer would need to just take a couple of strokes and get to the side of the pool. You're gonna completely freak out and dump adrenaline and your cortisol is gonna shoot up. And even after you're sitting on the side of the pool, an hour later, you're probably still gonna have an elevated heart rate and elevated cortisol and all of that. Um, so <laughs> when we get to the difference or when we get to managing physical stress during times of mental stress, um, it's useful to kind of understand or get into those nuances of, of the differences in those stress responses. And when you talk about heightened emotional stress or mental stress, especially when it's decoupled from physical stress, it has a different effect on your body than, than physical stress from something like working out or carrying bricks around in your yard. Uh, so if you're sitting in your car, in traffic and you end up road raging, someone cuts you off, you're late for work, you're having a terrible day. And then in today's context, you also read on the news that like another 100,000 people have this virus. Um, you're going to have a physical stress response, but in the absence of physical activity, which isn't something that we're 
extremely well adapted for evolutionarily speaking. Um, like back to Sapolsky's stuff, most animals when they have a stress response are in a state of actual threat where there's a physical component to that stress response. Like we're not used to sitting in front of our phone and being physically stressed. And, and when that happens, when we get stressed, when we're sitting still, we have some of that physical response. So our breathing rate changes. We start breathing more deeply and we exhale faster and, and we start taking bigger, bigger breaths to, to prep us for physical activity. And what that does is start to strip CO2 out of our bloodstream um, because our, that's what exhaling does. Basically, it clears CO2. And our inspirato inspiratory drive, our, our drive to breathe, is based more on the presence or absence of CO2 than, than on oxygen. Um, so in the pool, like in, in the military, again, like we'd see people shallow water blackout all the time because they would ignore these signals or they would deliberately hyperventilate before doing some kind of underwater work. So they would strip the CO2 out of their bloodstream by hyperventilating and then they would have, they would lose that signal like you really, really need to breathe right now and they'd be okay with an absence of oxygen and they'd be fluttering around right on the surface of the water and they'd black out because they, they did something to their body that allowed them to ignore that they were hypoxic. And when you do this, when you're, when you're having a stress-based respiratory response and you're sitting still and you strip the CO2 from your bloodstream, that kicks in another feedback loop called a Bohr effect where your oxyhemoglobin offloading at muscle cells is decreased because your brain is reading that you have very little CO2, therefore you don't need oxygen, therefore it's not going to offload oxygen into your muscle cells as effectively. That changes energy production locally because now your muscle cells have reduced O2 availability. And that means you have an altered um, availability of ATP in muscle cells and then you're your muscles become unable to fully relax and lengthen. And that's especially true in, in postural muscles, like your lower back or your neck, all of the things that you feel that are tight when you're stressed. Yeah. That's a big part of the feedback loop that's playing into that. Um, you're creating this whole thing that basically tightens down muscles and makes you feel tired and sore and achy. Uh, and then everything hurts and you feel tired all the time. So, so physical stress and mental stress aren't entirely the same thing. Um, where if you're, if you're physically active, if you're, if you're working out or you're just outside doing stuff, when you have that increased respiration, that's happening in the absence of O2 and in the presence of more CO2 and, and the feedback loop is totally different. Um, so if, if we get back to the stress response stuff, um, if you, if you manage to stay in a challenge versus threat state, uh, if, you, if the type of workouts that you're doing are more challenging, more meditative, more restorative than, than just beating the shit out of yourself, which is kind of a common practice, especially when people are stressed, um, you're probably going to fare better. Um, because even though there's all that different stuff in the physiology, being chronically stressed does carry a weight. It does present a burden. Uh, it it takes a toll on the body's resources and it depletes your recovery capacity. Um, so for most people, now is a good time to do that sort of restorative submax work rather than exercise racing and beating the shit out of yourself. Um, the, the one caveat there is some people do find an emotional release in that kind of thing, like doing a 15 minute beat down kind of sprint workout. If that's just your happy place, um, if that's your go-to way of coping with emotional stress, then, then factor that in and, and do some of that work. 
But for the most part, given that physical activity is extremely necessary, it's really helpful for us to cope with chronic stress. Um, and it's a way of kind of balancing out that, that whole feedback loop between emotional stress and physical stress. Um, the useful thing is probably to distribute movement more evenly through your day uh, rather than sitting still for eight or 10 hours and then doing a 30 minute or 60 minute workout. And to make those workouts more mindful, like in a way that puts you into your body rather than dissociating from pain and, and is not putting you into that distress-based uh, threat response or, or, or stress response. That's so, that was a lot of gibberish. No, that it's, like, yeah, it's, 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 it seems like, like, I don't know, the biggest part about that to me is like, are people aware that they have this chronic stress? Because then they have no output in terms of something restorative. And that's where it's kind of like, if I look at PN and like what they do, it's like those small little steps, but it's like drink your water, eat your food take your steps, do this, do that. A lot of it is ends up being restorative just on the assumption that people are living in a stressful world. Like take COVID out of the thing, like nine to five jobs and kids and traffic and all that stuff is that same stuff just to a different degree. And I yeah. like how you, you said to break it up during the day because you can do that and you can still do your hard workout later. You just need to make sure that that chronic stress is, is um, I guess manifested physically in a good way to kind of get rid of it. That makes sense. Yeah, you're giving it a job. Yeah. yeah, you're giving you're giving cortisol a job. Yeah, which is uh, like, yeah. I've never heard it explained like that, which is like actually super helpful. It kind of reminds me of Mike T. Nelson's like use stress versus distress training, but that whole yeah, idea, it's the same. Yeah, adding bad concept. stuff in so you can handle it when it happens, and just knowing and putting a name on that thing so you can kind of practice being in that thing. I don't think I don't think people know that they're in distress, like truthfully. Yeah. I think there's, I, I'm pretty sure I mentioned this on Adam Fight's uh, episode, but I think it's worth saying again, we want to be really conscientious of, you know, really aggressive training. Like Craig, you pretty much said it's not the time for, you know, maximal stuff, but it, it, the, sure there's the acute intensity of that workout, but there's a cumulative ability to recover and particularly the micro traumas, not just that the muscle tissue gets, but joint tissue gets, we're, we're not anywhere near an optimal state of recovery. So if someone continues to try to do their usual like bleeding edge, cutting edge threshold of training volume, you're probably going to have a lot of trouble recovering from a mass. And those micro traumas can add up, especially in joint tissue. Uh, if you're doing maximal training, first of all, the risk of an injury is higher, but the, the risk of a cumulative uh, uh, repetitive stress injury uh, becomes more of a thing. And this is not a time right now where we want to get hurt. Um, I certainly wouldn't want to be trying yeah. to walk into an emergency room with a broken femur or, and that's a bit extreme, but at the same time, you, you got to do it you deadlift thing. You, 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 gotta, you still got <laughs> stuff, right? Like this is not the time you want to, you know, assume any sort of major injury risk or I, I also don't think you want to deal with the accumulating chronic use injuries right now because we're already stressed mm -hmm. enough. I thought about that yesterday when I'm I was deadlifting. Going use the lose the outlet that we have of exercise so it's just a thought to say you know guys maybe take a step back from the edge of just how progressive and aggressive your training is right now just to make sure that you still have this training tool for you uh for for the next little bit because it's going to be one of your best coping mechanisms yeah that's that's a really good point we are in 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 a heightened state of stress emotional stress we are at a significantly increased risk for injury and, and it's for all of those reasons. So it's not a good time to test those thresholds and play at the edge of injury. 
it's it's a good time to to stay a little bit safer and do a lot of volume based work that is less acutely stressful or acutely dangerous. I thought about that yesterday. I, like, I was it was dead serious. Like my, my like again, my life hasn't changed that much because I work from home and I have a high volume program. I, it's like six days a week. Anyways, long story short is yesterday I was kind of feeling it and I went up the deadlifts and instead of doing my top set at like forty pounds more, I was like I'm just gonna keep it at what I was at the set before because I'm like I really don't want to get hurt right now because if I lose the ability to do the thing that probably helps me in the situation which is working out oh yeah have the resources I was like yeah like it's not worth it I'll just stick at 525 545 but it it was helpful because like I'm thinking like longer term like what if this happens what if we're at home for two months and this thing that you like is the thing that ruins it for you like that would be awful and I think that's realistic people in this is that beating themselves up could be the thing that makes it worse for you and you'll lose that ability let's uh craig you'd um in our discussion prior to this you'd mentioned the idea of trigger workouts and i of course yeah. want to ask just some strategies for maintaining fitness while while we have more limited options a lot of us do uh so i don't i want to open it up to you there about your thoughts on that and include the idea of these trigger workouts you mentioned yeah it's some <clears throat> we've been doing this at pn with clients for almost a decade now and and we used to do it in the military and, and a lot of other people have hit on the same idea um pavel satsalin called it greasing the groove and it's kind of the same concept with a different rationale uh but basically you're just using a trigger uh any kind of reminder it can be a timer or an object like right now um i have a kettlebell by my stairs and anytime i walk past it to go to the kitchen or the bathroom or whatever i stop and do a couple sets of something and and the idea is to offset that emotional anxiety thing uh, to give stress hormones and cortisol a job and and to to mix physical activity evenly into your day rather than sitting still for a really long time and then doing a whole bunch of intense exercise for like 30 to 60 minutes um, it's a way of, of staying like somewhat physical active the entire day and and specifically practicing strength skills um, so I'm doing kettlebell work, swings and snatches and things like that and squats and then a bunch of mobility stuff. But, but you do submax, um, pretty, pretty low intensity, relatively speaking work. It's not like I'm going to go pull a 500 pound deadlift after I get out of the chair. Um, and, and you're just doing something to kind of like keep yourself awake and physically, physically alive, uh, in short little bursts, like any given mini workout or trigger workout that I'm doing is probably three to five minutes long. And I'll do that roughly every hour. And I try to do stuff that's kind of a big movement. You know, I'm not doing curls or something. Uh, I'm doing squats or swings or overhead presses or push-ups and things like that. Um, and I do maybe a total of a couple hundred reps a day if you add everything up. And, and it's just a way to stay active and moving. And if you're trying to learn a specific skill, um, it's especially useful for pull-ups somehow. Me and a couple of other PN coaches have both, have all done that for, for pull-ups. And uh, Dominic Matteo, another PN coach, got up to 30 straight pull-ups doing this. Like one set of just 30 chest-to-bar, bang, bang, bang pull-ups. And like that's how I learned to do muscle-ups pretty well. Like I had rings in my garage and I'd go play on the rings every hour or so. Um, and especially now where everyone is learning how to work from home and you probably don't have a squat rack in your living room. Um, it's a really useful way to, to stay active and kind of disengage from mentally demanding stuff or emotionally engaging stuff that's stressful and to kind of get back in your body and, and mix that in through your day. And we've been playing with a lot internally in PN. We just put an article out about it and it's been really helpful for people. 
when it goes back to that point you were talking about before, like with this stress thing is like, it could manifest it in something positive and kind of complete that loop, which you, you can do through habits, which is like awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Andrew, you're going to say something. No, actually I was just sitting there very quietly. Uh, I didn't have anything to add. I suppose the one note is I actually was talking to Dominic Mateo as well, and uh, we'll make sure we get him on sometime in the not terribly distant future either, because mm. I don't know him well, but I've heard great things, and we just sort of connected over the internet just because his name had come up a couple times. I know our friend uh, Jeb Johnston had also mentioned him as well, in addition to uh, PN conversations with uh, people like Krista and uh, Jason Crow, who's sort of arranged all this stuff behind the scenes. So we have, we have Jason to thank for for all these PN people that we've been talking to recently. Yeah. But we'll get going on. I was going to say with the trigger workouts, like it's not, the, that's what those trigger Facebook call-outs are for. Like do I do 10, give 10, do 10. Like it's kind of like. It's oh, kind of really? Easy. I haven't seen this. Yeah. So like, and this is like, people have been like taking this whatever way they want to like be push-ups, pull-ups or whatever. Like you do 10 and you give 10, you take a bunch of people but it seems like people are just trying to manifest their stress on Instagram. <laughs> it's, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just cool seeing like when you explain it scientifically and then you kind of watch habits of people and yourself, you kind of like start to see like, Oh, this is why this is happening. But I think that it's helpful for people to understand that because then they can choose what response they want to do. Cause I think if, like I said, I don't think people know that they're doing the things that they're doing. And if they know, hey, mm -hmm. I do this and it's not helpful for this and I actually want to do this, they can at least choose. So then they, most people don't want to choose to be an asshole. Like generally. <laughs> you know what I mean? If they, yeah. And if they know the options, they're most, I, I want to operate on the premise that most people are going to pick the right answer, even if that is right or wrong. So I think like it's good for people to understand this stuff is affecting you in this way. Then you can choose which way you want to go. And that's helpful. <laughs> I hope anyone yeah. clicks yeah. on that anyways. You could think of it as a self-soothing behavior for some people when they, they find a way to get physical activity and it's, it's just another way of feeling better. And it's a productive way. It's, it's better than eating ice cream or whatever else someone might do. So there's a point right there that we were also going to hit on too, and we haven't talked about nutrition as much. Um, what are your thoughts on using this time right now for maintenance versus say, hey, I could focus on fat loss or at the very least, you know, how many people right now are probably sitting down and, and kill off all their like quarantine snacks in, in a couple of days is the joke. <laughs> we know that there are people who are def definitely at excess amounts of calories. We're just talking about trigger workouts, which actually would be a really good way to compensate for down regulation of neat activity that most of us mm -hmm. are experiencing. Lord knows I am. So uh, yeah, what, what should people be focused on right now or what's probably safe? Um, it's, it's going to depend a lot on your perceived stress on, on how much of a toll this is taking on you. Like, like we've been talking about, we, we work from home, we have remote jobs. Uh, we're all young, healthy people that aren't likely to be affected by this, even if we do get it. So it's not as big of a deal for us acutely and personally, but if you're an older person and you worked at a restaurant and you've just become unemployed and you're sitting at home, like your emotional stress load, your anxiety is going to be so high that you probably don't have the capacity to add in anything that requires a lot of structure and, and discipline and, and additional stress on your body. Uh, it's just not going to be there. And, and then it also depends on things like your own cooking skills uh, because if you're stuck at home, uh, and, and you're going to do something nutritionally that depends on the quality of the food you eat and it has to be really stringent. Um, you have to be able to rely on yourself to make and prep that food unless you 
are somehow living next door to a restaurant that will deliver three times a day or something. Um, so there is the potential for it to be a really effective period of time to focus on a physical goal like fat loss or mobility or whatever. Um, but the application of that or or the feasibility of that is going to depend a lot on someone's individual circumstances, whether they can support it in terms of their total stress load and whether they have the requisite skills necessary to do this effectively on their own, um, living in a box. And I, I think of it as the same way we coped with deployments, um, where in a lot of ways it sucks. You're living in a little box somewhere, and if you're not working, you just live your triangle of life. You go from like the gym, hopefully you have a home gym or somewhere to work out, uh, to wherever you eat food, back to your room where you sleep and read and do whatever. And you just walk that triangle all day until you have to go to work. And a lot of guys are known for coming back from deployments being super fit because they had nothing else to do with their time but work out and read. <laughs> and and it, it can work really well. Um, but that's a different context than what a lot of people are in right now. Like people are on deployment and unemployed and trying to figure out how they're going to pay their rent. Uh, there's this I think it was Epictetus, the Stoic guy who said, on the occasion of every accident that befalls you, remember to turn to yourself and inquire what power you have for turning it to use. So in this situation, there is opportunity. There is There are ways to turn this to your own use. You can use this lack of variability in your daily routine to create a structure that could be really beneficial for some goal. Um, but not everyone is going to be set up to do that. Not everyone has the recovery capacity or the, the free will when they're under economic or financial stress to do that. I, I like the, the stoic philosophy right now, and I've been struggling even a bit myself to get to the usual behaviors, but I think that's a good place to go. And honestly, if anybody has anything they want to explore right now, I don't think it's a terrible idea to get into that. Uh, that's, that's what you just said is Ryan Holiday's work distills a lot of this yeah. stuff into a very modern accessible form the obstacles away like epictetus's quote there is very much holidays the obstacle is the way you can find opportunities within this that you got to be careful how you say it because i think for some people under extreme levels of like Im imminent financial concern uh, that can come off as a bit tone deaf to say hey, yes there's a there's a there's a great opportunity here for you you can make the best of this i i think a lot of people are going to really struggle with that but at the same time, for a lot of the trainers in our industry, this might not be the worst opportunity to, to explore where, instead of just drowning in a lack of control, it's about finding a sense of control again. And it goes back to our big conversation about stress, is if you can find a sense of control within a situation that feels very uncontrolled for a lot of us right now, it's going to be one of the ways that you will deal with the anxiety and all the mental like fatigue that we're experiencing. So, and I think our industry has been a bit cliche, but I think there's also a lot of value in this about going into the online space. That's a message that's being pushed really hard right now. Um, it, one of the challenges with that is there are going to be a lot less people out there who are going to have the financial resources to suddenly just hire a trainer and be, be online. But mm -hmm. also another note too is I don't think there's anything wrong right now with trying to take on business. How you do it, I think, is really important. But you're not you're under no obligation to say, well, uh oh, nobody has any money. It would be unethical to even try to like start an online business. No, like you've got to survive. You've got to still pay your bills. And if anybody turns around and is, gives you grief because you're actually trying to be able to like scrape out a little bit of livelihood in this, 
well, fuck that person because what, what they're trying <laughs> isn't particularly helpful to you right now, right? Like if someone is shaming you, uh, this is another problem we have with what's going on. If someone is currently shaming you for making an effort to try to be able to pay your bills, I, I really don't think that's a person that you should have in your ear right now. So I haven't seen that that much though. Like I think I think everyone's in the same boat. All the trainers aren't talking shit because they're all trying to go online right now. They're yeah, all end up fighting each other and having like the one negative to all this is that everyone is going to go online and there's going to be a lot more shit out there because they're gonna <laughs> yeah, be, gonna be like baby, they're going to be like Bambi walking online and just be like the worst at it. So like it's a good time to grow that, but I think in the interim, like two to three months, there's going to be a lot of like learning or an opportunity for growth in this. And I think that the person who loses out on that is the, the customer at the end of the day because they have to go through people trying to feel out going online. And it's going to cost a lot of money. There's something yeah, else. There's a negative. I'm not saying like that that's how everyone's going to be, but like that's how I see a lot of this too. There's like, something else that's worth mentioning too is I mean, we don't know when gyms reopen. And, you know, I've had a lot of quiet conversations and there are industries that I think are completely fucked. I think that the cruise ship industry is done and quite frankly, fuck them because I hope so. Yeah. We can do without that. Nasty here, but the cruise ship industry, uh, to avoid paying taxes in the U S all like put their corporate uh, headquarters in place like the Bahamas and yeah. they fuck them. I, and I'm going to say that comfortably fuck that industry because <laughs> they've been skipping taxes for a really long time. So don't bail them out. Fuck them. Uh, stop supporting that bullshit. And eventually someone's going to come along from all the bankruptcies, acquired the assets and restart it again. Uh, the airlines are going to take a beating. They'll, they'll, they'll be necessary. They'll get bailed out, whatever. Um, restaurant industry, God, do I feel bad? Holy shit. And I don't think restaurants are going to come back super quickly because people are still going to be easy about going into policies. Uh, uh, theaters and anything where there's like a large public venue show, that stuff's going to be slow going. But gyms, Despite the fact that people are in groups in gyms, people will surge back to gyms when they can. For right? sure. So I think yeah. the the medium view, the long view, it's a great opportunity to be really great at in-person coaching. And I know there's this big surge online, but I think it would be a mistake to say, oh, well, this is our new reality. Life's going to be different for a while, no question. But there's going to be a ton of opportunity. You're going to have people who will wake up from all this and go, I have to start being active, right? People who are overweight, who are more vulnerable to the worst case scenario when it comes to this virus. And that might be enough to spur some people into the gym. Online is, I gotta get healthy. Well, remember what Craig was saying about like setting up stuff to make it so you have to do it, like the, the alarm clock. Like if the alarm clock is next to you, you're gonna hit it. Like that's what I look at a lot of times with this online training or following online programs is like, it's so easy for people to not adhere. Like that's all the research and physical activity being good for you is like, they don't mm -hmm. even are adhering to it. So the gym is still gonna be that thing where they have to jump across the fucking room, drive the gym, put their clothes on, go <laughs> for it so that they get the thing done. And that's why the industry probably won't go away for the foreseeable future because online just doesn't work as well. Like, and that's all I see in, in terms of like, yeah. Well, this is it just doesn't work that well. Like it works well, but it doesn't work well for the masses. And there's another funny thing about this big push to go online. Um, gyms are closed. Most of the clients who are doing online coaching are still doing programs that you usually need a physical gym setting to do. And there are limitations. Okay, well, this workout, you're going to do 12 push-ups. And now next workout, you're going to do 15. And I, I'm being a little cheeky here. Paying for but, people to do it on webcam. Like that's just. Not by much. That's pretty accurate. Yeah, that's. Yeah. So at a certain point, 
there are limitations to just how much we can push into the online space as coaches. And I think the, the people who do it well have always done it well. And there will be people who will go in that direction who will do it great and they'll thrive. But for everybody else, don't discount the fact that life is going to return to aspects of normal at a certain point. It will, right? And I think holding on to that, that thought is as much as getting up every day at oh, the news is worse, oh, the news is worse. We're in that we're in that uh, it's going to get worse before it gets better phase. That's where we are. And uh, we, we talked about stress management. We talked about all the things to get through that. There is going to be light at the end of the tunnel at a, a certain point with all this stuff. There are every virologist, medical researcher, technologist, uh, scientist in that field is currently working on solutions to deal with this stuff. We have uh, there's one company, I think, that's developing antibodies, SARS antibodies, and trying to get COVID to recognize it which would give a very valuable, if it, if it does work, something to actually battle this disease. Uh, vaccine research is at an accelerated pace. We have a couple of drugs, despite what the American president sort of came out initially said, and then the, the, the political opponents naysaying it, there seems to be some research emerging to say that, okay, there may be something there. Who knows where they're gonna get with that? There are going to be solutions to this problem. It's not gonna happen overnight. So. I like saying these things, not to believe in fairy tales, but to say to people, hey, there are people working on this stuff. They're doing everything they can. And while this feels kind of endless right now, there is hope. And there's going to be nasty shit that comes out of this. But out the other side, we're going to look back at this and go, holy hell, that sucked. But. Screw the cruise ships. Yeah. I think to your point about people putting out all these programs are like, today you'll do 10 push-ups and tomorrow you'll do 12 because I have arithmetic. Like <laughs> there's there's a ton of this stuff flooding the internet right now. And and for coaches who are trying to to do something or transition to online work or or just find a way to to maintain a career growing right now, I think it's really useful to look at the ratio of input to output that a lot of people are working with where the stuff that they're putting out in most cases is based on like 20 minutes of thought, or they're literally just recording the pushups they did in their living room and putting that out as like their gift to the world. Um, and, and it's not all that valuable because there's an ocean of it already. Um, but the one thing that, that pretty much all of us have in this is increased time. And, and like I, I used to literally just divide my days in this input days and output days. And the, the more input, the more reading and study and, and thought you can put into something before you make it and send it out in the world, the better that product is going to be. And right now we see all these people just flooding the space with these things that, that have time horizons of like three days. People are putting out workouts, but they're not putting out programs. There's stuff that, that makes sense for the next half hour of your life, but doesn't really play into any kind of long-term progression or plan. Um, I think the people who are going to be the most successful with this are going to be the ones who take advantage of this time to do the work and read the dozen books that are going to be required to understand something more deeply and spend the time creating something that's really well thought out and makes sense for the next 12 months or something longer than a three-day workout program that's just cobbled together push-ups. Um, those people are going to stand out in this ocean of nonsense and probably be really successful. Well, that's the one thing we talked about. That was kind of like my negative. Everyone's flooding with something. And we had this, when we had this round table, Andrew, I don't know if you listened to it, but we had Harold Gibbons on and Rich Stahl and Katie St. Pierre. Anyways, long story short, as it came down to that is like the product coming out right now is like you said, there's no input. And the people who are going to be successful and can probably capitalize on doing this well are going to be people who are going to 
structure in a way where it doesn't look much different than what the good trainers are doing in the gym. Like there's still, phase, mm-hmm. there's still linear progression. There's still all these concepts that don't, don't just get ignored because we're in a pandemic and we need to get a product out. Like that's how progress happens. And so I think a lot of the coaches that start to go back to their roots and just define it in a different way and manifest it at home are going to be the ones that are going to be successful. Because like you said, like, I think we're at the point where everything's been flooded. They can't recreate the last week. Like if they do it again, everyone's going to kind of figure it out. Like, Oh yeah, now we're at 18 pushups. Okay. <laughs> like, I don't think that phase can last too much longer. I guess we'll see. Like, I'll also, because I, I, I built a start of this and I agree with everything you guys said, I'm also going to say this too. It's positive. I get it. Well, yeah, because I think it's still people who are choosing to do something. Yeah. Maybe it's as yeah. much for themselves and their own sense of productivity as for the people they're, they're giving it to versus the, the staying on the couch and, and becoming paralyzed with fear. You are still in control, a limited amount of control over mm-hmm. something you feel very out of control. I think I think it's really, really important that despite this discussion, if someone's listening and was doing what we were sort of making fun of a little bit, honestly, I still think you're tr- you're doing the right thing. Hopefully from this conversation, it can steer you into a direction that maybe has more long-term value, like Craig has said. But but I definitely don't want to shame anybody who is under uh, the, the best of intentions was doing what we were saying. Well, this is what Harold mm. so Harold's from Mark Fisher Fitness, and he always has a really, they all have like elegant, eloquent, eloquent, I can't even say that today ways of putting things and he said like let's just take like last week or last week and a half is like everyone's kind of entrance in to give someone something so it's their relationship building period now we're past that so like that's all the good stuff that's the happy feelings everyone getting off their ass and doing this don't shame them but it's like now it's time to focus on quality so if you did get in that space and you did get these people doing things you have to move that up to something more than 18 push-ups and so it's a good opportunity and like i think that that period was probably needed because everyone kind of needed just something to kind of get them in, get their feet wet. But now it's kind of go time. And so I guess what I'm saying is we'll see what happens now because now is the time where this stuff is either going to progress and the cream is going to rise to the top. And I think people are going to get smarter and realize that like the thing that they were doing that makes them happy needs to be something more if they're going to continue doing it. So we'll see. I don't know. Like that's Yeah. Yeah, I do agree, Andrew. That is a good point that, that this is still, even if they're putting out simple push-up workouts, it's still actively coping and trying to solve a problem and trying to be helpful. Um, and, and it's definitely going to be a learning process for everyone who's doing that. But the first step in that process is to just do something and, and figure it out from there. Which is like, yeah, we're, we're totally, you know, we're making fun of the trainer who's not going to give them anything after the three days. Like if you can't get yeah. better than one more push-up, like, yeah. like even we, the call-out thing with the do 10, give 10 thing is like, that's fading out. Like it's just, it, that's not sustainable. Like people think it's cool. It's just like Tiger King. Like Tiger King was like, we talked about Tiger King and it's, it's going to be famous for like two weeks and then it's, it's going to be done. Like every other thing. And we still have to come back to the basics of like, what is good? I think mm-hmm. what's also happening, and I mentioned this sort of earlier, is we are adjusting to a new reality, a new medium-term reality. And a lot of people are struggling with that. Lord knows I've had a hard time with it. But then you sort of level off a bit. And, and it doesn't alleviate the immediate financial economic stress that a lot of people are going through. But outside of that, people will adapt to the way things are going to be for a little while. We'll get used to it. We'll deal with it emotionally. 
And what I hope then happens is people make choices to do constructive, positive things. Craig, you said about reading the books that are going to set you up for the next 12 months or, or more. I, I think that's a good place to put your effort. I think right now it is still really okay to just, we're grieving the loss of our normalcy, right? That's exactly that. Mm -hmm. And we have to adapt to our normal for a little while. So I am not particularly judgmental towards anybody who is struggling and who isn't doing as much as they normally would, because Lord knows I'm having trouble with it. So, but I also am confident that I will get back up and, and running to the usual level or, or close to, to productive pursuits that will you know, create ideas. I mean, we've still got the podcast running. That's a basic thing that just is a commitment we do. So that's there. Uh, I know I'll write a bit more. I know I will do other constructive things. I've been a little bit quieter on my social media. I know I'll get back to that routine again. And I hope anyone who's listening, A, it's really okay if you've been struggling. B, I hope this episode inspires you a little bit to proactively try to work on a bit more without putting the pressure on yourself to do everything that the, the productivity gurus are pushing to say, oh, now is the time to do it, all of this stuff. Uh, that's a bit ambitious. I don't know if that's realistic. So be fair to yourself. Yeah, yeah. yeah. If you took a, a three-month vacation and you had income streaming in and you could go get whatever food you wanted and everything was easy and, and low stress, then yeah, that would be a great time to be ultra productive and get all this stuff done and even do your 500-pound deadlift workouts and all that stuff. But now is not that time. Uh, that's not the context that we're all living in. Uh, it has been unbelievable to have you on here. Um, I know that a lot of your stuff is, is primarily through PN, but we also want to make sure that our audience can find more of your work with the stuff you write, the stuff you're putting out there. If you have any sort of social media place where you spend time, um, I, I noticed that I, I didn't notice as much uh, of you having like a personal brand through social media as some of the other PN people, but uh, anything you want to share with our audience so they can find you? Uh, yeah, that's true. I don't really have much for social media. Uh, I like we were talking about the productivity stuff. I have it. I've had it locked down for years and don't use it much. But I do write in a bunch of different places. And uh, another PN coach and I, John Pope, uh, are publishing a book probably this month on training special operations guys. And there's a ton of stuff in there on mental skills and stress management. Um, we've run a series of articles with OAF Nation on, on those specific skills. If you want to have people check those out, we talk about things like uh, self-talk, compartmentalization, segmenting, uh, visualization, skills like, like specific things that came from the military that are used for effectively managing stress and performing under stress, but that are applicable anywhere, including today and, and people who are stuck in this COVID thing. Um, those would be just useful resources in general. And then the name of that book is uh, Building the Elite, and we have buildingtheelite.com, uh, which we just put together like last month probably. Um, but we've been working on that book for about the past seven years and it's finally come together and we should have a physical copy in our hands within the next maybe two weeks. Um, otherwise, uh, I co in that gym with John that's in Colorado called Ethos Colorado. We have some articles and content there. And the first gyms that I started were called Barefoot Fitness. Uh, we have a website for that too. And uh, a lot more articles on there that you can flip through and those are categorized by things like special operations or mental skills or whatever, and you can find resources there. Um, yeah, I don't, I'm on social media kind of sort of, but I don't really look at it. So I don't think it's worth putting that stuff out. <laughs> what I've noticed um, is a lot of the really successful and oftentimes the bigger brand name individuals in our industry 
they, they may very well have a social media presence and put up good content on it, but they're not people who spend a lot of time talking in discussions on Facebook. And they're engaged, some of them are very, very engaged with their own posts and their followers. Uh, I use Silky Lee as an example. Jordan Sykes, fantastic at this stuff. Uh, but they really don't turn around on other people's threads. They're not engaged in discussions. They're certainly not arguing. And I've always gotten the sense that the, the successful people, the people who are accomplishing a lot, are not spending a lot of time on social media outside of very specific targeted stuff that they are in control of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's probably true. And I do, like, if someone just emails me or or messages me, I do make a point to to put time into responding and trying to help everyone who does directly reach out. Uh, and my email address is like Craig at five other business names, either Precision Nutrition or Building the Elite or Barefoot FDS. Um, and and if someone, especially young guys who are trying to go into the special operations community, that's like my my main thing where I'll put a lot of time in. Like when people do reach out on social media and, and need help with something, I will set time aside to do that. Uh, but yeah, I don't like skim a Facebook feed and just find someone to yell at on the internet. I, I've That's why I've locked all that stuff down. I found that the what it costs me in terms of time and attention doesn't isn't compensated for with any kind of return. Like what I put in isn't going to be worth what I'd get out of doing something like that. So I just locked it away. Don't touch it. I, I, I'll point this out just so that way the listeners kind of grab onto this, but you're probably, you're one of the most well-spoken, but certainly one of the most soft-spoken guests we've ever had. Yeah. <laughs> yet, like, especially in the middle where you're talking about uh, like a lot of the stuff to do with, uh, you know, stress hormones and fear and anxiety, like just, you just lock in and just listen because that stuff is really profound and interesting. And I'm sort of contrasting this to another one of our guests who has a lot of really great stuff to say, but he's got a very strong persona, really like coming through the, the audio. You can feel him as John Russin. Uh, you're probably familiar. Uh -huh. And yeah. John just throwing himself into everything. And you're kind of the opposite in terms of just that presence and personality, but it, there's a lot of really great stuff here. So I actually really hope that everybody uh, enjoyed this episode and, and goes and digs in in some of the stuff that you're involved in. And uh, we really appreciate you taking the time to come and talk to us. So you're definitely going to be coming back. Uh, we'll maybe pull some of the PN people all together later on when we have the opportunity. And uh, yeah, I, I hope guys you'll actually keep a lookout for that book. What was the title of the book again? It was Building the Elite. Everyone from PN is awesome at this point. <laughs> yeah you guys should get a you should get dom and john pope on here too they'd be great hey, dom is definitely going to be in the works and i'll take a look at that because uh right now it's sort of interesting we reached out and our next we're going to record in a couple of hours and you'll get anyone listening you'll get it in a week uh, we got mark fisher and chad landers i sort of threw a net out to some of the, the bigger names in our industry uh, who I thought would be really appropriate to this. And, uh, Spencer Adolski super busy because he's very involved in the medical side of what's going on right now. And uh, Goodman also said he was really busy. But uh, Mark's like, hey, man, email me. Right? And Mark's a guy who's a super busy dude uh, doing presentations, running two gyms. And, you know, it could go either way. You get guys like Mark and Luca Hosovar who they are a lot of the stuff that they're normally immersed in is kind of shut down. So they may have more time or they might be just diving into things. So Luckily, we hooked Mark and Chad, and these are two really, really great guys. So hopefully anyone listening to this episode will um, you know, hang on for next week when we drop this really great one on you as well. And 
I like to point this out too, is anyone who's listening, like reach out to me and Dean on Instagram. We'd love to hear the feedback. Uh, I've been getting some messages about people saying how much they appreciate the fact that we're doing this during this time. It's not, not like we would shut down. We can keep this going. We have a bit more time on our hands, but we'd love to hear from you and we'd love to hear what you're going through right now. Uh, and I'm not sure how we can help, but even just sometimes just that conversation. Uh, so please like, uh, if, if you're not following me on Instagram, Andrew Coates Fitness at Instagram and uh, Guido, it's what, Guido Power One? No, Guido.Power, obviously. Dot power, Guido.Power, oops. So yeah, G-U-E-D-O. So it's it sounds like Guido. Um, yeah. We've had that discussion a lot on this on this podcast. So if you're new, you're, there's a bit of an inside joke and, and how his name is pronounced. I'm not even going to get into it. I'd rather go Guido. Okay. Thanks for coming out, buddy. Yeah, yeah thank, thank you. you. Shut up and sit down.